Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and welcome to the Open Concessions podcast presented by Toyota, featuring a weekly in-depth conversation with a Chicago Cubs-related personality. I'm Len Casper, along with Jim Deshays. We make up the Cubs television tandem. Happy holidays, J.D. That season has arrived, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, it has. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope all is well at the Casper uh, household. We will chat with Jason Hayward uh, this week on the podcast. Very much looking forward to that. Before we do, uh, the the big news uh, in the past week, uh, Jed Hoyer officially introduced as the Cubs' new president of baseball operations. Uh, he gets a contract extension, so he is signed through 2025. Uh, I like the continuity. Uh, we talked uh, last week uh, about the Theo news. That uh, It's a great thing for Jed, who has been here for nine years, and uh, I thought he said all the right things. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he, he kind of, um, you know, paid his dues uh, as the number two for a long time. Uh, it, it's kind of a it has to be a little bit bittersweet for Jed. He ascends to the role that, you know, anybody in his position would want to be in. But at the same time, you know, uh, one of his best friends in the world will be moving on to, to something new and different. But I'm very excited for Jet. He's a smart guy. He checks all the boxes. Um, I think the Cubs are in really good hands with Jed Hoyer. And our guest this week, Jason Hayward. Uh, Jason has been a Chicago Cubs since 2016. Uh, before 2016, he signed an eight-year free agent contract. It's hard to believe over half that deal uh, is already history, five out of the eight years. And uh, Jason coming off uh, his best offensive season as a Cub. And, and J.D., I would say he was the Cubs' most consistent offensive player in 2020. Yeah, and, you know, he's, he's such a good all-around player, right? The, the, the base running, the defense, uh, multiple gold glove awards. Uh, Could have won another one this year. Um, and, and to see him step up his game offensively was really nice. Unfortunately, it was a, a shortened season, obviously, so we don't know what ultimately the numbers would have looked like. Um, but but he's one Cub offensive player who has to be feeling really good about things this offseason as we prep for 2021. Some of the uh, so many of the other main guys had off years, um, but Hayward had his has had his best year in a Cub uniform and one of his best years ever. Yep, uh, one of the uh, Cubs' big-time team leaders. You mentioned the defense, five gold gloves, and uh, really interesting guys. So enjoy our conversation with Cubs right fielder, Jason Hayward. Jason, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. Uh, How's your offseason going? No, my pleasure, guys. Um, it's good to check in. Um, off season is is pretty cool. Um, you know, staying in Chicago, I've been back and forth to Atlanta some to see my parents down there, um, hang out with my brother a little bit. But I've been working out at Wrigley and taking my dogs over there, just trying to be safe and you know, be normal and, and be a citizen at the same time. We'll we'll get back to what you you've been up to uh, here in a second, but uh, the big news uh, as we record this podcast is uh, Theo Epstein uh, has stepped down as the president of baseball operations. Uh, your initial reaction to the news? 
Um, I think my initial reaction is, you know, this is reality where, you know, something's not going to last forever. And I feel like, you know, over time, we've kind of, as you know, players and personnel, I've been able to understand the way Theo works, the way the business works, that, you know, he most likely wasn't going to renew his contract. Um, going through a season that we just went through, regardless of the result, just, you know, everything with the COVID stuff and, and being a shortened season. Um, you know, I definitely understand where he's coming from and, and just wanted to be able to you know, step away for a minute, but also the class that Theo always carries himself with, you know, him wanting to say, hey, Jed, like, I, I'd like you to be able to do this without me over your shoulder and, and me being a part of the moves that you need to make that you think, you know, you need to make for the Cubs organization. I think it's it's super classy. Jason, is there any part of this that, that kind of gives you pause that makes you think, well, you know, Theo in his press conference alluded to, you know, big changes coming. Um, you've had a good group together here for a long time and have had a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Um, does that cross your mind at all? Is this, is, you know, in, in the sense of, you know, I'm locked up, I'm here for a while, but this could be the beginning of significant changes. Um, does that... Does that affect you in any way, or you just, hey, I'll just do my job and show up and play? Well, it's it's always going to be, you know, I'll just do my job and show up and play. Um, you know, I, I enjoy that part of it. Um, but when it comes down to it, you know, the business side of baseball, the business side of anything is you know, always tough at times when, when you have to make certain decisions. But when it comes to baseball, you know, I think it's something that, you know, you you have a reality check where you spent a lot of time with people um, over the past two years, been fortunate enough to say that with our group. And like you said, we did a lot of special things together. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, certain guys and, and contracts and, you know, them establishing themselves financially, also just in the game in itself, you know, that takes money, that takes business, that takes planning. And, and I understand that everyone can't stay under the same roof for forever. Um, if, if that means that everyone's going to get the best for themselves. So, for me, I'm I'm proud of my guys, proud of our group, and you know I wish everyone the best going forward. But I understand that there are moves that they're going to have to make, and you know this part of the game for me is also kind of fun because you know again to me it means you know people going on and and having a better opportunity for themselves, and it also means some change here where I already know that I'm going to be, um, you know, for the most part, and unless something else changes. When you go back to when you signed here, uh, anything stand out in terms of your interactions with Theo? Obviously, Jed uh, had to be heavily involved as well. And and that, we should also say, I'm sure makes this transition uh, a lot easier because uh, Jed has been here as long uh, as Theo has. But what, what stood out to you as you were going through that kind of recruiting process when you signed the eight-year contract? You know, I was thinking about this last night. Um, you know, I think there are so many things that stand out to me, but I think that, you know, I want people to realize as like Cubs fans or anyone that's you know, been involved with the Cubs or, or any, if they've been you know, touched anyway by, you know, our, our latest run, you know, going to the postseason, us winning the World Series, you know, going from you know, a 100 loss team to, NLCS beating the Cardinals in the postseason. Obviously, I was on the other side of that, but you know, making some some awesome history here. That that Theo put everything he had into that, and and he's affected all of us in a positive way. 
um, you know, from from every aspect of this organization. And to me, that's what stood out to me about him is that he cared. He believed in the people that he worked with. He always wanted to do his best to put his best foot forward. And, and, and that he meant doing the best thing for the organization. And anytime, uh, you know, he had something to share with you, you knew you were getting his truth. It was always something that you knew you could count on with him. And I think a big thing is that he was not afraid to tell you things that you may not want to hear. Um, so for me, it was just a very special honor to be involved with someone like himself. And I think all of us uh, you know, should show him our gratitude that way. It goes fast, doesn't it? As you, as you <laughs> mentioned, changes come quickly in this game. And 2016 feels like just yesterday, but it also feels like a lifetime ago. Um, how do you process, I guess, your career on a year-to-year basis? And I think your home run on opening day, the your major league debut feels right. like just yesterday right. in a lot of ways. But uh, we, JD and I talked to a lot of players and the idea of trying to uh, take it all in in the middle of a career is difficult because it's a very tough job, mm-hmm. right? Are you able to kind of step back and gain some perspective even in the middle of a, a season or a career? Because um, guys often look back and go, man, I didn't appreciate it while I had it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've had you know different waves of that. And Atlanta for me – I got to see early on what it was like to have a special group of people coming in with the Hall of Fame manager, playing with you know, a Hall of Famer, maybe maybe potentially a couple of those. Um, just that group and that vibe, feeling that, and then seeing that go pretty quickly. Um, and then going to St. Louis for one season and, and having you know an immediate impact as a group, just you know the way we vibed and it was a lot of fun. But you know coming here to me to Chicago. Um, you know, they say time flies when you're having fun and there's just no better place to do this. Um, you show up every day, you love to to come to Wrigley, you love to be a part of the fans. Um, you know, we travel well. The the ownership has done everything they can to make sure we're comfortable, things like that. So for me right now, I'm kind of living in my dream job still. And uh, so it's something I, I haven't reflected on too much because I obviously want to I'll keep progressing and keep trying to get better and, and, and have a better season every year. Every year is different. But, um, you know, I try not to, to dwell too much, but Chicago has that effect on people, I feel like, to where you, you do kind of step back and appreciate everything around it. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, J.D., uh, I'll, I'll let you chime in here. As we talk about Jason uh, all the time, and we'll get into some defense and stuff, but um, – the, the the scope of a big league career, JD, has changed, right? It used to be when you get to 29, 30, 31, that's when you get into your peak in prime years. Uh, that that age group has moved up a little bit, but I have a feeling Jason Hayward's best is still yet to come. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> guys that get to the big leagues when they're 20, they're, they're, there's a skill set there that, that, that most don't have. So I, I've always thought that the, the better players that I've been around over the years, um, the, the – uh, the, uh, the the arc of their career is is, is not always the same, uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know uh, elite players tend tend to play at a high level for a long time. So I guess the question for Jason would be, how long do you want to do this? I mean, uh, if you go into your late thirties, you're going to end up having a twenty year uh, major league career or, or close to it, mm-hmm. uh, which is just remarkable. Well, you know, I um, I mean, 
as we know, the game has changed. And like we talk about, even from the age standpoint, um, but there's analytics and, and there's certain changes, which the game always evolves. When you hear, you know, former players get on the television and talk about it, how it used to be when they were here. Um, I feel like I've seen a lot of it happen um, since 2010. And, you know, so it's, it does make it hard sometimes because you, you realize that you know, there are certain moves made and decisions made in the game that I wasn't brought up on, but you have to kind of deal with that and, and roll with it and, and, and do your best, the best you can with that. Um, so for me, I would like to play as long as this game will allow me to play it. Um, I don't know how long that's going to be, but you know, I, I definitely do see, um, you know, some better baseball ahead just from the knowledge, just from settling in, um, just from having, you know, a, a better understanding of certain things for myself. But I think I'm I'm me. And I know coming up with Atlanta, you know, I, I had a lot of hype around certain things. And, you know, I'm just a 20-year-old kid that wants to go play baseball, be a part of a team, try and help them win. Um, so understanding the business side and um, the, the media aspect of the game is, is one thing you have to learn. But uh, just being able to go play and be me, I think that's that's a big thing. And coming to Chicago um, early on, that was a, a reality check, so to speak, because I had done you know, some cool things in the game already. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, hey, like you're a first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer by any means, but when you're a free agent at 26 years old, you know, you've done some things to get to that point. And, you know, in my mind, I still get to go play. You know, I was never afraid of failure. You're going to fail all the time. That's the name of the game in baseball. Um, but when you do fail sometimes and then you don't get to play, um, you, your routine gets thrown off a little bit. And then, then you kind of start searching for things you've never had to search. For. So that's that's what I mean by it. now. I feel like I'm pretty established in the fact that I know who I am. I, I know my role. and um, I can improve on that and build on that, but I kind of know how the game views me and, and how I view it. I, I got to tell you, you know, again, JD and I have talked a lot about this uh, with regard to your Cubs career to this point. Um, I'm so impressed at how just, you know, body language and, and the way you present yourself, right? Um, the perception. Uh, kind of matters in terms of how people view you, I think even in the clubhouse, right? I, I think people who watch the games, but but also your teammates. And what what always has impressed me about you is that your demeanor never changes. And even when you have gone through some really tough offensive stretches, yeah, there'll be an occasional, you know, flip the bat down or mm-hmm. uh, maybe a four-letter word that we don't hear on television. But um, for the most part, uh, I, I, I'm just really impressed with how you – you never made an excuse. It was always about the team. Um, how did it feel at times? Because I'm sure it felt worse than it looked uh, in terms of your reactions to those moments. Um, I, I appreciate that, Lane. Um, I would say, I mean, failure is a, is a part of the game. and There is no excuse in my mind. You know, regardless of, of what's going on, I, I think at the end of the day, it's the name on the back of the jersey. Um, it's the name on the baseball card that's going to get remembered. No one's going to remember, like, what group you play with, who you played for, um, that kind of vibe. It's just, what did you bring every day? Um, so I, I feel like I have to own up to that. And, you know, when it comes down to anything else that's going on, is we're trying to win a baseball game. We're trying to have a winning season, and I'm, I'm trying to be a winning teammate and and not be bigger than the game. You know, I was fortunate enough to uh, to be taught the game 
at an early age how to play the game the right way and, and be accountable. So for me, that all of those things go into just trying to be the same person every day and enjoying that as well. That consistency of just loving the game and, and, and getting what you get for that day. Um, but, you know, I think being there for your teammates uh, as a responsibility of, you know, have, being one of the guys with a bigger contract on your team, of course, having, you know, the biggest contract in franchise history, I think there's, you know, there has to be some com comfort in being okay with failure. And, you know, when we win, yeah, we're supposed to win. We're the Cubs. You know, we have, we have all these things going for us. But if we lose, I understand a lot of that blowback is going to come on me. And, and to me, that's, that's perfectly fine because I earned that and, and I own up to that and I enjoy that and I enjoy being there and, and going through the ups and downs with everybody involved on a daily basis. And, and to me, being a winning player is going 0 for 4, but having a positive impact, right? Uh, I, th I, think, uh, I think Anthony yeah. Rizzo does it a lot. You do it a lot. I think Javi can do it a lot uh, by plays he makes on defense or you know, even reaching on a fielder's choice and then disrupting the other team with his base running. Uh, you're, you know, the hitting side of it is very, very difficult, but there are so many other things a player can do to help his team win than, than just pick up hits, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, my apologies, I got into that answer. Um, but as far as the, the struggle side, um, no, it's definitely tough. You know, for for me, you know, it wasn't so much as struggling for the first time. I've struggled before, struggled early on in seasons and finished with some of the best seasons I've had in baseball. Um, but to me, it was just the fact that I was struggling at a place that I wanted to be that badly. So I chose Chicago. Um, Yes, they, of course, you know, accepted me, but I wanted to be here and I, I wanted to be a part of the winning environment. I wanted to contribute and, and help my teammates. Uh, you know, I wanted to be you know, a part of the, the fans and, you know, and enjoying all that stuff and, and soak it in. Um, so to struggle on that stage that, that you made a choice to come be a part of, I think that was a big, a big part for me that made it tougher than normal, if, if that makes sense. Cause yeah, you you get a contract, and again, like I said, I understand the responsibilities on me, but but I have to still show up every day and still run the bases right, still try to get a man over uh, when I'm not feeling my best at the in the box, or if I am feeling great, I still need to get a guy over. I still need to you know hustle out in the outfield and play defense. Still need to stay in tune to the game and you know pick your teammates up when they need it. So you know, like you said, it's it's spot on. There are a lot of ways that you can help your team win without going four for four every day. So going back to uh, um, when you broke in with Atlanta um, and, and, you know, you've been known as a very, you know, everybody that we talk to on the club now and anybody who's been with the club, we talked to Matt Caesar last week for our podcast. He was gushing about your leadership abilities. So, you know, you've been this mature leader for a while now. You know, the World Series, the rain delay speech, you were 26 years old that year. I think people forget you're still a young man, but a seasoned veteran. When you came up with the Braves, um, what was the culture of that club? Uh, were there guys that were jealous? You know, because a lot of times players are jealous of a young player who gets a lot of hype. Mm -hmm. uh, or was there a player or two who put their arm around your shoulder and, and said, don't worry about all that nonsense, you just have fun? I mean, what was that, the culture of that team and Coxie and, and, that, and that group? So I think it, um, I think, you know, what you give is what you get. And I think my mindset 
has always been the same as far as being being a ball player and like we talked about, just helping your team win and going and enjoying uh, the game we all love to play and be around. So I didn't have too many people outwardly saying that they were jealous of anything because I didn't act that way. You know, I didn't I didn't act like I was trying to take away from the team. It did make it very hard because of the hype, because of the attention. Um, but I, I made it very clear that I just wanted to focus on baseball and being one of the guys. And having a Chipper Jones, you know, come talk to me and, and talk to me about you know, leadership and, and little things about how, how your teammates are going to respect you if you get a guy over or if you take a pitch or, you know, when to bunt, this and that, just, just little details. Um, David Ross, you know, our current manager, his locker was next to mine for my first three years of my big league career. And, you know, just having him to lean on and, and talk to me about little situations that come across the daily basis of our lives that you don't realize when you sign up to say, I want to be a major league baseball player. There, there's a certain way to go about it. Um, so I, I could go down a long list of names. Uh, Bobby Cox treating me like a big leaguer and, and never making me feel like, hey, you're just some rookie. You, know, you act like you're a big leaguer. You handle yourself like a professional. You come in, you work hard. Um, you don't act like you're bigger than the game. Well, that's how I'm going to treat you with that respect. So our, our group um, in Atlanta was, was super special. Uh, we had a lot of fun. Of course, we, we made the postseason 2010, missed it by one game in 2011 to the Phillies, the wild card 2012 and won the division um, in 13. So for me, those early days, I learned that you can make make the postseason. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's really hard to do, but you can also miss the postseason by one game. So it made, it made me not take that for granted. What's it like to play for David Ross now? How did that relationship change this season? Um, man, I um, if anything, the only change is that I have to respect the fact that he's the manager in the sense of I'm not going to go ask him everything. I'm not going to go ask him every you know little question. There are certain details I understand that he has to keep to himself, and I got to respect the position, right? Um, you're not going to go ask your boss you know certain questions anymore. Um, you know, once they step into that position, but everything else was David Ross. And to me, that's, that's what, uh, you know, what's been a part of him gaining so much respect from people across the game of baseball is he demands winning. He demands putting your best foot forward to win. You want to go out there and, and try to win the game by hustling, by being a good teammate, by trying to do the little things in the game, right, correctly. And after that, you know, you're not always going to win, but just demanding the winning mindset and, and putting your best foot forward. So to me, it was, uh, of course, special to to play under a former teammate, but it was also impressive to watch how he handled things and, and was accountable for his mistakes, held us accountable for ours. So to me, like I said, just same Rossi, um, you know, just, just wise in his age now, um, wise in his baseball years. So happy for him, and, and I was impressed. Before we get off the uh, the Braves uh, topic, uh, I know you were thrilled for Freddie Freeman, the MVP, and um, just tell us about your relationship with Freddie. Yeah, man, I um, man, I, I love that dude, and you know, Freddie has always been just, I guess, one of those guys that was just enamored with the big leagues. Um, you know, I'm not saying I wasn't, but you could just tell our first big league camp. You know, he was always wanting to be close to certain guys, you know, he wanted to learn from them and just, just watch everything they did. Um, Chipper, Brian McCann, 
um, you know, and, and so on. Um, so to see him, you know, he's number five, you know, Chipper's number 10, you know, the, I feel like baseball history had the funny way of doing things like that. Um, you know, he has followed Chipper so closely in how he carries himself. And, and now you kind of see his career turning into one of those where he's been with the Braves for his whole career. Um, he's went through some struggles with them as far as uh, the franchise. And, and now you see them, of course, make the postseason. But to see him get that MVP, it's um, it's humbling to know that, you know, we came up together. Uh, we spent a lot of time, you know, you know, on the road to the big leagues. But just seeing him be consistent and, and consistently care about going out there to do one thing and have to play the game of baseball the right way. Um, you know, rain, sunshine, whatever it is, like this man wants to go play baseball. So to see him win uh, that award and, and know that it can't happen without his teammates is, is awesome. I'm happy for him. Let's talk some defense. Uh, we marvel at your fundamentals. And even with nobody on base, you get behind the ball, uh, anything in the air. And and I said it during a broadcast, it just creates such great habits. So when you have a, a play where a guy's tagging at third and you've got to get your footwork right and throw a strike to the plate, uh-huh. you've done it a million times. Uh-huh. And too often guys don't kind of play balls that way. Did, did anyone teach you how to do that? Or was that just something you said to yourself early on, I'm going to practice the way I play? The practice the way I play part has always been me. I don't know where or why. Well, I don't say why. You know, my dad, um, his uncle played, Kenneth Washington played for John Wooden at UCLA in the 60s. My dad finished his last two years of high school with him and out, out in L.A., and he lived with him. Uh, my dad told me a story about him throwing the basketball up at the hoop one day, and he was just doing it, messing around, and his uncle said, you know, why, why are you doing it that way? You know, why aren't you trying to make it? My dad's like, I'm just messing around. He's like, well, if you're going to shoot it, shoot it, and shoot it the right way. Um, so that's one thing that my dad has, you know, resonated to me and, and my, my brother and I, um, but stepping on the baseball field, I always loved to practice. And, and when it came to catching, um, fly balls and pop-ups, um, at a young age, I kind of taught myself how to do it and just throwing the ball up in the backyard. But, you know, getting back to someone teaching me the outfield stuff, um, you know, I had some very good instructors in the minor leagues. Now, I, I had a lot of tools and a lot of gifts um, that, I, that I knew how to play center field, knew how to play right field, and, and I love to do it. But just being around some of the other players, um, some of the minor league coaches that I had coming up, it just made it all routine. And I think because I love to practice the way I play, um, that has just made it second nature. You're a left-handed thrower, but man, I want to see you play one inning of shortstop before <laughs> it's all said and done. You think you can talk Rossi into that in a nineteen to one game? I, I think you can do it. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I could maybe talk him into that. Um, I got to figure out wearing a cup, but um, <laughs> no, that's. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I used to play, um, you know, first base early on, um, and in my you know little league days, and I love first base. I love infield the short throws, the snap throws, all that stuff. Um, but defense is, of course, obviously super fun for me. Um, I just think that, you know, out there you can, you know, create your own momentum. And I think it's a huge way to uplift your team and and keep the momentum on your side. Have fun, obviously. You can win a game that way. I think a lot of that can get lost sometimes. 
you, my favorite Jason Hayward play, and I thought you had died uh, when you crashed into the wall in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. But is, is that number one on your list? That's number one on my list. Um, and I, I don't really understand how that, and I don't, I don't care. Like I, I never do anything for, for publicity, but I don't understand how that catch is so underrated. Um, and, and I agree, not, and, 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 and not shown like over and over again somewhere when they want to show a highlight because just that that took everything I had. Um, but in San Francisco, of course, and in the triples corner or whatever, um, the magnitude of it, um, you know, Arietta on the mound, span, you know, at the plate, like that's a leadoff guy who's not, you know, he's not a big guy, you know. So I just feel like a lot of the things that went into making that play, like you had to be there. You had to have all the right intent, and then you had to be fearless. Um, I, I did think I died. I thought that I thought I was <laughs> paralyzed. You know, I was like, "Wait, are my yeah. legs moving? I, I couldn't breathe." Um, you know, all those things, but no, it was it was a lot of fun. And yeah, I mean, I, you could, as you can tell, I, I, I love what I do. So that was I, I appreciate you bringing that up. That was a, that was a hell of a play. Oh man! There, there, there are two um, I, two plays that I've seen in, in my broadcasting career, and I don't think I saw any better in my playing career. So, you know, this is thirty, forty years. <laughs> um, that catch you made, and Andrew Jones made one against Billy Spires in Atlanta one time, you know, where yes. it's like Spider Man in, into the wall. But you know, when you've watched as much baseball as we've watched, for two for two plays to stand out like that. Um, I'm with you. I don't know why that play doesn't get, get more, you know, it seems like it'd be on every highlight reel you ever see. And that leads me to this question. <clears throat> the, um, so the analytics of defensive run saved, uh, uh, the, the MLB.com, you can find like catch probability and four star and five star plays. Do you pay attention to any of that? And what do they get right? And what do they get wrong in your opinion? I would say I've never really paid attention to it because, you know, of course it didn't matter, especially when, when I came in the game in 2010, it wasn't something they were big on putting out there on TV. And I think it's cool that they do it because it gives fans and, and people another perspective um, on how hard it is to do certain things. And I think but what most recently has made me kind of look at it in the sense of, you know, if someone were to label me and say at this point now that I've regressed as a defender and you know, I'm not as good as I once was, I would say these numbers are, are not necessarily true for the reason. And I'm just, I'm just saying this so people that are listening you know, have an idea that, you know, I feel like this past year, I didn't have as many balls hit to me out in the right field. Um, and, I, and I feel like a lot of times when you don't have as many plays to go after, then I feel like your numbers aren't going to be the same. You don't have as many things to go off of. Um, I feel like when people run the bases against me in the outfield, there's a lot of times where they don't run and you don't have a throw to make. So mm -hmm. I just think there are certain right. aspects of the analytics where, you know, if someone said, oh, well, you regress, you're, you're not as fast, or you don't, you know, you don't have as much range anymore. Well, I, I don't think that's true. I feel like when the ball's hit and I can run and catch it, I catch it. I just think you have to have as many opportunities to be able to match up to everyone else's stats. Yeah, I think it's interesting. In, 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 uh, this happens in the game all the time. When players have played a while, um, you'll hear broadcasters say it all the time, and people, pundits and people around the game said, well, so-and-so has lost a step. Mm -hmm. And then but if you think about it logically, why would a 29, 28, 29, 30-year-old man have lost a step, right? Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it'd be one thing if you're 39, you could, you could right. probably make that case. But right. uh, I think people just, they make these knee-jerk you know, statements like, oh, he's been around for a few years, uh, right. therefore he's lost a step. Well, right. the other thing too, Jay, is when you're 29, you, you've been in the league now, you know, 10 years. Why wouldn't you be better at 29 than at 22? Right. Exactly. Regardless of speed. Exactly. And and for me, I think, I don't think a lot of people realize, like, you're trying to make it look as easy as possible, not the other way. Right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're not trying to make web gems if you don't have to. You want to be in the spot right. and, and you want to know the hitters well enough, um, know your pitching staff well enough that you're there and you make it look easy so you don't have to worry about it. That's That's my whole objective. Um, and I think there were a couple of times this year where maybe a, a two-hole hitter hit, hit a ball over my shoulder in the right center at Wrigley, and then maybe one more time at, in Pittsburgh that, you know, the ball was hitting. I was like, oh, that was fun. You know, I haven't done that in a while. Like, somebody hit it again like that, you know? Um, so I, I think people definitely don't get to see that stuff, and, and I think they kind of you know, misunderstand um, losing a step. But if you watch Mookie, you know, you see how much action he had. You see how much action um, Cody Bellinger had out in center field um, during this postseason. Like, I'm right there with them. You know, I, I'm right there with them wanting to go make that play and making those plays. But you got to have stuff hit your way. And, and it's impressive to watch them work when, when it does work out that way. I think I saw, and I, and I mentioned it to you, 2017 or 18, uh, I saw the note that you did not misplay a fly ball all year. There was one blooper that I think uh, dropped behind Zoe and in front of you, and mm-hmm. um, that was it, and you were not blamed for that. But um, like that that's the kind of stat I like because that rang true to me that, you know, I never see you kind of get fooled uh, by fly balls. But um, they're getting better, right? I like mm-hmm. the fact that they're trying to figure out uh, who's good who's great, who maybe uh, isn't as good. Um, and, I, and I do think the StatCat stuff uh, matters a little bit. But the eye test does too. I think we all agree Javi Baez has long been oh, one of the best infielders in the game, and he's right. now being rewarded for it. Right. I, I think that goes you know, to our point, how we're talking about that someone that makes it look easy. <laughs> he makes it look easier <laughs> than he's supposed to. So when you look at him, you're like, oh, is he a gold lover? Well, a manager that has to vote for it may not think that. He may not say that because, oh, this guy makes every freaking play. Like, he makes it look smooth and whatever. But that's not how easy it is. So I think it was cool for the numbers to benefit him this year because I think this was the first year in a while or maybe ever that they used just the numbers um, and and didn't let, you know, managers vote because, of course, they're short in season and we didn't get to play everyone. So, you know, for Javi, see, that's that's the other side of the spectrum. Um, The numbers showing up and, and showing his work to me, that's awesome because, like, like, like we know, man. Like this guy does it every single day. It makes the easy plays look like you're bored. You're bored with him. You're like, hey, why aren't you making this play? And then the hard plays, it's just like, bro, that's ridiculous. Like, let's let's get off the field. Let's let's go hit now. Thank you, Hob. Pre- appreciate you, man. Hey, and you guys want the team gold glove, so that's 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 something. First time that's ever been handed out. Right. Be, feel good about that. Right. No, that's to me that's 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 pretty cool um, to have happen. I was I was kind of surprised seeing that. Hey, we got a, a team award, but no, it's it's huge because I think Andy Green will tell you, Rossi will tell you, um, Will Venable will tell you that you know, we we do put a lot of pride and work into our defense and. We have fun with that. We 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 enjoy the challenge in that. So it's nice to see that show up again, um, you know, in in our reputation 
And I think also a big part of it is guys knowing their role and being able to settle into their spots. Toyotathon is on, and there are great deals on your favorite Toyota models, such as RAV4, Highlander, Camry, Corolla, Tundra, Tacoma, and more. That's right, Toyotathon is on. And did I mention every new Toyota comes with Toyota Care, their two year or 25,000 mile maintenance plan? Visit toyota.com for details and get into your local Chicagoland Toyota dealer today. Current offers end November 30th. Toyotathon ends January 4th. Toyota Care covers normal factory scheduled service for two years or 25,000 miles, whichever occurs first. See your participating dealer for details. And you should get on the Cubs season ticket holder waitlist. Family and friends have been signing up, some waiting years, for their chance to become a season ticket holder. Go to cubs.com slash waitlist for more information. Cub fans can secure their spot in our lineup for season tickets by joining the Cubs season ticket holder waiting list. No cost to sign up. That's right. It's free. And when Cubs season tickets become available, they will be offered to members of the Cubs season ticket holder waiting list. Once you've signed up, we'll send you emails periodically to let you know your waitlist number. Well, we could go for hours and hours with you, but just a couple more topics here uh, before we let you go. Uh, I think you mentioned your brother uh, earlier, Jacob. Tell us uh, how he's doing and and about your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a little mentorship going on there. And I know uh, he's very proud of you too. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, first that's you know that's my brother, little brother. Uh, we're six years apart. He's August first, 1995. I'm August 9th, 1989. Um, you know, he's with the Giants organization right now, and you know their season, you know the Miley season of course didn't exist this past year. So I think, uh, you know, for him, it was, it was weird to have to stay working out all year long and not really have a game to show for it. But I think, um, you know, all in all, it's kind of frustrating because of the way he finished his uh, season in 2019. You know, he was the MVP of the all the double A all-star game um, for, with the, in the Giants Marley system. And then he finished in triple A, um, and I believe hit you know, well, like well over 300 the last two weeks with them. They won the whole thing. They won the Pacific Coast League championship, and then they won. Um, they beat the International League. Um, so just for him, um, you know, hopefully he gets a good shot this year, 2020. We'll see what happens. But you know, we we do have a good relationship. But I would say baseball has helped our relationship, and I would also say it's interrupted it <laughs> because you know. <laughs> I was I graduated 2007 from high school. I think he was 13. Um, he went to University of Miami, played there for three years, did the College World Series two years in a row, um, got all tournament team out there a couple times. Um, so him going to college, me going to be a professional at 20 years old, I was out of the house on my thing. He was out of the house on his thing. Um, so I think it's nice now to have baseball bring us back together and. Also, ironically, like our spring trainings are both in Arizona at the moment. So 
it's mm-hmm. uh, it, it's cool to to be able to have that time back and, and kind of rekindle you know our relationship and be there for each other. And and you know just looking at his baseball reference page, uh, he takes walks. Is that kind of his 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 number one offensive skill? Is that that he gets on base quite a bit? I think so. I think he he's okay with not swinging out of the strike zone. You know, even, you know, kind of like this, this past season I just had, um, you know, even when pitchers throw strikes or they make a good pitch, he's okay with not swinging at that if it's not in his area. You know, he, he's not saying, I need to hurry up and hit a pitch. I want to work in a bat and, and have a team approach. Um, you know, I got to watch him in the fall league have a pretty cool at bat, actually, at Sloan Park. Um, you know, take a pitch like middle lane and drive it right center. Um, and then also he hit a curveball out, I believe, that back before I missed it. But just overall, that's that's uh, I think you, you hit that right on the head. Him being okay with not swinging at every pitch and, and working in at bat. Um, but minor leagues is tough, and you know, this game is tough in general. So we'll see what happens. He's, he's working hard, and I hope the best for him. Man, you had a great year. I mean, you had so many good at bats. What was it in particular? Anything that is just just confidence, seeing the ball well, uh, even your outs. Uh, you made pitchers work and work and work. You no, know, I, I appreciate it. Um, I think a big thing was going into the season. I I kind of had things in my head how how I wanted to go about it as it was, but then having the shutdown and then getting back to things the way we did, it it made me. You know, even more understand that I need to keep things simple. And so what I did a better job of, I feel like, is, you know, knowing my keys for each pitcher as an individual and and the timing that I needed to have. Um, you always can look at the you can look at their spin rates and all speed stuff and percentages all you want to. But the the down home simple stuff in the game of baseball for me was just being on top of my timing. And I feel like I've for the most part, always been someone that was okay taking walks, but there'll be times where I'm like, well, why am I not taking this pitch anymore? Why am I not, you know, getting to that pitch? This year, I think I was most consistent with my timing and being able to lay off the bad pitches and, and the pitcher's pitches and, and spoil the pitch and then being able to put a good swing on a, on a tough pitch. So I think overall that was a big key for 2020. Jason, there's so much velocity in the game now. Um, and hitters hitting is probably harder than it's ever been because it's a you know a parade of relievers from 100 miles an hour. You get maybe two looks at a starting pitcher. Some nights only one. Uh, has right. this is kind of a weird out, out of left field question? Has training changed? I mean, do you have to gear up for velocity to, to, to try to hit off a pitching machine that's cranking up there at 100 miles an hour? I mean, how, how do you combat velocity? Um, I think. You have to create the trust, um, the trust that you saw someone like, you know, Jose Abreu had this year, the trust you see Freddie, uh, Freddie Freeman have. Obviously, I named um, the, the current MVPs, but timing is it. The trust you see Riz have when he's able to, you know, like in game six of the NLCS in 2016 off Kershaw. You know, Kershaw decides to drop down one pitch at 94, and Riz flicks it out to right center with one hand because he trusts his swing and he trusts his timing. Um, so I just think not necessarily always do a speed drill. Everybody does it differently, but you do need to have um, your routine set up for having good timing and having good repetition 
and being consistent so you can react to that 100-mile-per-hour fastball that you may only see a couple times the way guys are throwing hard now you know, out of the strike zone and trying to throw all speed in the zone. Um, so I think, yeah, you, you do need to have some some different drills lined up and, and a different mentality now because the game is consistently, like you said, man, I mean, J.D., the game is consistently going with velocity you know, around the zone and, and spin and all speed kind of through the zone. Uh, I'm sure for, for a left-handed hitter like you and for Anthony and Schwarber, home runs off tough lefties are like children. Uh, you hate to pick a favorite. <laughs> walk-off walk-off grand slam off Adam Morgan mm-hmm. or the game winner off Josh Hader. How would you rank those two? <laughs> um, well, for me, I'm going to tell you, just just because I'm, I'm always you know, trying my best to be an in-the-moment type person, being in the moment, we won the game with the Grand Slam, right? You knew the, the work was done. We yep. could all celebrate. We could we could laugh, whatever, and, and go home and get ready for the next day. There was so much, I don't want to say anxiety, but so much, whatever you want to call it, emphasis, I guess, on trying to get that win in Milwaukee. Um, you know, Obviously, it's a huge series for us. I feel like that's kind of been our thing, you know, coming down the stretch in, in September is to win a division. We got to go play well in Milwaukee. Um, Hitting that home run obviously was huge and, and taking the lead back. They had no idea. Um, it, it gave us a jolt, but I wanted to finish that game with a W so bad. So I, I wouldn't even say I enjoyed that home run too much until the game was over. <laughs> I, I, I almost hated it for a second because I'm like, all right, we're, hey, we're winning now, but hey, like, I'm not going to cuss, but like, hey, you know, MFers, like, let's go. <laughs> all right, like, hey, we, we, we still got to go get three outs. This ain't over yet. And we're only up by one. So. Um, I, I would say the the Adam Morgan one was like, all right, here we here we go, Grand Slam ball game. But uh, the, the Hater one was that that was a huge feeling because of the jolt that it gave us and and just taking some pressure off of some other people, man. Like that's that's huge to me. That twenty four hour period was about as good as it gets. Uh, oh, Alec Mills with a no hitter the next day. Oh, do, do you get nervous uh, during no hitters? Uh, Lee Mazzilli told us once that he got more nervous on defense during a no-hitter than he did in the postseason because he didn't want to ruin it for his pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say nervous. I think it's – I think in my mind, being an outfielder, it's more fun uh, because I know there's only but so much I can do, and it just constantly keeps you on edge every pitch, right? You know, in a normal game when you know, someone's already given up a few hits. You're like, all right, you know, let's let's make the right play. Let's get the ball in. If someone wants to take an extra base, you know, whatever. Um, with a no-hitter, every freaking pitch, you're like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, please hit it to me. Please hit it to me. Hey, you're talking to the outfielder. You're talking to the infielder. Like, you need to move this way. I need to move this way. Um, I, I feel like the nerve-wracking part for me, in a way of watching, has to be the infielders because the ball will find them, and it will find them quickly. It was a day game. So the infield was a little bit more dry than normal. And that last ball hit the hobby. I mean, you, you guys saw it. That, that ball was hit pretty well. Um, you know, so for me, mm-hmm. I would have a lot more stress as an infielder than an outfielder. Well, um, I, I don't want to end on a heavy topic, but we'd be remiss in not uh, asking you about 2020 uh, in terms of uh, uh, social justice, uh, a lot of the racial strife uh, that we witnessed. Uh, you sat out a game in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just give us your general feelings about that? And really a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Also, your relationship with Billy Williams, Fergie Jenkins. We talked to both on the podcast just before the season started about some of their experiences 
uh, 50, 60 years ago coming up uh, through the minor leagues? Um, you know, Billy, Fergie, um, to me, has always been, a, I mean, obviously there's a baseball sense and respect, but but also them as African-Americans, uh, black ball players. For me, it's it's humbling to to be in their presence and to be you know in an organization that, that they have been a part of. Um, so to me, always awesome to pay homage. But you know, on that note, paying homage, I think 2020 was huge for that. Um, paying homage to them, so to speak, and and kind of showing like how hard it was for them to get to this point, and and appreciating that, and also showing. Or how far I feel like we have to go as people. Um, to me, the support that I received from fans, from family, friends, from teammates, um, from this front office, from former teammates, doctors, you know, whatever it is, you know, people like yourselves, um, just that support made me very proud to be a part of this organization, but also just proud to be um, who I am as a person and it's uh you know it's it's hard to not get emotional about it because i think you've heard some of us say um some of us african-americans say or you know even even some people that are not you know black players it's not an easy topic to discuss um you know and and i don't ever like being someone that is going to complain or you know look to have someone do me a favor or make something easy on me i want to earn everything i have and i feel like that's the way it should be um but to have so much conversation, so much positivity, um, so much awareness and reality brought out into the open this year, I think that to me made me proud um, just to be who I am and, and proud to be a part of uh, the group and the, the baseball players, the, the front offices, just to be, be a part of the MLB in 2020, um, to be a part of that group that kind of turned a new leaf and, and said, here we are. Um, that was special. Well, it was great to hear your voice on it. Um, this season, as difficult as, as it was, as you said, but uh, it's a topic that, that needs to be uh, discussed quite a bit. Um, let's end on a light note, JD. You got any, anything else for Jason that, uh, that we've, we, well, we've missed? I, yeah, I just want to turn back the clock to, to back in the day. And I, I apologize. I, I, I read it years ago. The Sports Illustrated article it talked about you as a young player, mm-hmm. and the story—the story was that the, like the Braves were trying to hide you from the rest of the baseball world, mm-hmm. uh, and like and, and like you, you got intentionally walked all these at bats so scouts couldn't see you hit that much. I mean, c- kind of take us back to those days um, when, when you were a young player about to be drafted. I mean, is that true? The Braves did they kind of try to hide you away from the rest of the baseball world? I feel like that's kind of my, that's kind of the the story of my life with them. Um, I think, uh, some of that definitely had to go on just because I played at East Cobb, um, played, you know, on some teams that had a lot of good exposure, uh, when it came to summer ball. And I know that some of these workouts I had with teams, the Marlins had the 12th pick, the Pirates had the fourth pick, the Rockies, I think that year had the eighth pick. I know the Royals had second pick. Like some of these workouts I had, I mean, I was hitting outside in cold weather on, and we had a big high school field, um, wood bat, of course, and hitting homers all over, um, driving the ball, not 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 always moonshots, like driving the ball, um, 
I, I did what I had to do, I guess, so to speak. And then the summer ball showed for itself against the best competition. So I, I think there's definitely something to be said about, you know, the write-ups and things you know, that made it easy for them. I think you've seen a history of Georgia doing that, the Braves doing that with, you know, Georgia talent. They were It was very easy for them to say, hey, oh, he walks too much or oh, this and that. Um, but we always had, we always had scouts at our games because of myself and a few other players. But I know there were some brave scouts out there hiding and and not being mm-hmm. seen. You know, they they never they never showed up until draft day, <laughs> if that oh, makes wow. sense. Um, yeah, I, that's I, interesting. I, I, I did do a workout um, at East Cobb. It was just for the Braves. They they were having something there, and I mean, I I took BP basically. I was sick as hell. Um, came from the gym with my trainer. Um, and obviously this is high school and then, then went over to the complex at East Cobb and, and just took BP and, and I hit and I hit bomb after bomb after bomb, dead center, left center, right center, whatever. And, and that's all I did for the break. That was it. Um, so on draft day or leading up to the draft, you know, my agent had told me, Hey man, um, you know, it looks like the Marlins are, are set on picking you at 12 dead set on it. And I and I'm just kind of tying this together for you guys because this this is gonna also you know go to show with how what you're talking about with the Braves and how they were moving uh, when it came to hiding me. So the models were dead set on picking me. They even told my agent, hey, you know, if we had the first overall pick, we would pick Jason at, at that spot. And my agent comes and says, hey, like, what do you want to do? You know, the Braves are at 14. If we can find a way to get you there, do you want to get there? Um, you know, obviously, like, it's conversation and, and all this stuff doesn't have to happen. You know, if they want to draft you, they draft you. Um, so the Marlins passed on me. I think the Indians might have had 13th pick um, before the Braves at 14. And you know, it's leading up to that. I was like, wow, the Marlins actually passed. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, Indians, they weren't, you know, said to be picking me. So, of course, they didn't pick me. And then the Braves picked me. Well. The guy that I the the scout that I went down to Turner Field with um on the on draft day that year, you know he I think it was Al Getz, he was becoming an agent. He was leaving the scouting industry and he was going to go be an agent and represent players that way. The actual scout guys that signed me when I signed my contract on August fifteenth, I believe it was, you know, drafts in June. I signed on the fifteenth because of the slot stuff. The scout was the head Marlin scout. <laughs> it was um, oh no, uh, Brian Bridges. So he 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 even had just come over to the Braves from the Marlins since the draft. He was the one that wanted me to sign with the Marlins, and then he actually ended up signing me with the Braves. So that goes to show you that the Braves were doing everything they could to make things happen. Um, and 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 it's you can't blame them. You know, it's right there in their backyard. But that's that's kind of my draft story of situation. Yeah, that's fun. I'm looking at the, the that draft. The uh, top three players in wins above replacement in the 2007 draft. Well, Jason, you're one of them. Uh, any guesses on the other two guys? Ooh, I'm uh, I'm humbled. Um, where is Where is Freddie Free in that list? Uh, well, it wouldn't have been. Let's see. Okay, so I, I guess he's not in the it's top. Not Freddie, no. Okay. Uh, one guy uh, actually was drafted by the Cubs and is now um, a slugging third baseman for the Twins. <laughs> Josh Donaldson. Donaldson, gotcha. And David Price, and David who was the uh, number one uh, overall pick. Right. 
Yeah. Bo Mills, uh, who never got to the big leagues, a first baseman, was drafted by the Indians uh, right ahead of you. Matt Dominguez, uh, third baseman, went to the Marlins at number 12. Uh, Madison Bumgarner went ahead of you, but you have more wins above replacement than than he does. So it's kind of a fun list to to look at. um, That was an impressive draft, um, much like a lot of them. I mean, you see a lot of champions in there. Um, Porcello was in that draft. I believe yep. Harvey was in that draft. Obviously, Freddie um, Ridge was in that draft. Stanton was in there. Um, uh, Mike Moustakis was Moustakis. Number, number, number two overall yep. to the Royals. Um, so it was, that was impressive. Yep. We really appreciate uh, everything and uh, love watching you do your thing. And you're great with us off the field. And uh, just keep doing what you do and stay safe this winter, all right? Uh, <laughs> we'll try to get to spring trading in one piece. No, absolutely. I'm going to you know, keep doing my best to keep moving forward and keep trying to have a better year than the last um, you know, for this organization. But I'm looking forward to the new stuff. I know, I know, uh, you know there's some uncertainty, but uh, we'll see what we got. I think we still have a lot of things to be positive about, but Thank you guys for having me. Always a pleasure. And you guys stay safe too, man. Hopefully we get some some normal baseball in sooner than later. That'd be great. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, guys. All right, take care. Great stuff, as we uh, would have expected from Jason Hayward. Uh, he's... He's reflective, and I like that about him. It's it's tough sometimes in the middle of a career, JD, to uh, to think big picture. But uh, I think he does a good job of that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's such an interesting guy because his story is so interesting. Getting to the big leagues at the age of twenty, having uh, early success, um, playing in all those postseasons. Um, you know, the, the whole the, the the brave stuff with with Coxie and Freddie Freeman. And that group, uh, it, was, it was interesting to hear him talk about that and, and how he learned uh, how to be a professional, how to be a big leaguer. And he carried that with him through St. Louis and now here to Chicago. And the thing I always marvel at is we talk about his, his leadership. Uh, and he's been that guy since a very young age, uh, which speaks to his upbringing. Um, and we talk all the time about the Hayward speech during the World Series. Remember, he was 26 years old when that happened. There's a lot of guys that are just breaking into the big leagues when they're 26. He was a grizzled veteran already. Yeah, uh, 11 seasons in the major leagues. Only three times was he not uh, a member of a postseason club. So it's kind of in his DNA uh, to play deep into October. So great stuff from Jason Hayward. Uh, let's dig into the, uh, Dixon baseball dictionary as we like to do. Uh, give me a letter and we'll, uh, we'll dive into a couple of baseball terms. Okay. Let's, uh, let's do, have we done T yet? I mean, I don't think we have done T. Check the use uh, letter boys. Thanksgiving and Turkey and all that. So, right. Let's find the letter T. Uh, I'm actually doing the Kindle. Right, that's right after S. Yeah, I know. Uh, the book, I don't know if you have a, a hard copy of the book. It's enormous and it's kind of uh, difficult to navigate while you've got a laptop and uh, a microphone and all that stuff. So I've don't dialed spill, up. Don't spill your coffee. No, right. I, so I dialed up the, uh, the Kindle version on my phone. Okay, here we go. Table setter. I like this. It's perfect uh-huh. for Thanksgiving, right? 
<laughs> a player whose role is to get on base and or advance others to set up a scoring opportunity. Uh, so I once, I think I read, uh, I don't know who the writer was, but something to the effect of he sets tables with the aplomb of a man, of a butler named Jeeves. <laughs> oh, wow. That's <laughs> Was that Grantland Rice? That seems like that would have come from the Wayback Machine. It 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 might have been, but yeah, table setter generally a leadoff guy, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, take deep, of course, is to hit a long ball uh, off a pitcher. Uh, that one has been around forever. Uh, let's let's dive a little deeper into T. Does it does it have a table setter? Well, when that was first used, is, is no, that reference? No. It does not have that. Some of these do. Uh, let's go. A bunch of wee Willie Keeler was probably a good table setter <laughs> back in the day. Exactly. Uh, let's do, let's see. Oh, here we go. Well, the tarpaulin, uh, let's dive into that a little bit because I'm sure in the early days of baseball, that was not something they thought about. The, uh, the tarp, the waterproof covering, used to protect the playing field during a downpour. Uh, baseball's oddest tarp incident came in the midst of the 85 NLCS when Vince Coleman was injured, as you remember, by the motorized tarp that rolled over his foot and up his leg to mid-thigh. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first major league club to adopt a single tarp was the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1908. Wow. Fred Clark had his patent for a diamond cover approved on February 7th, 1911. Okay, so actually the first use of it was back in the 1880s. The St. Louis Browns uh, groundskeeper August Solari introduced uh, such a thing. Um, And and the, the bottom line for the tarp is to cover the infield. The outfield, especially with drainage now, you don't worry too much about the wet grass, but it's the dirt. If the dirt gets too wet, uh, you can't play. And yeah, that's yeah. the issue, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny how the human mind works. As soon as you said the word tarpaulin, my brain went to a Paul Simon song. I don't know if you've ever heard this. This is kind of a deep track on an album of his I had when I was uh, a young guy. Uh, and it's, it's a, there's a baseball song, and it's, it's two men out in the bottom of the eighth or ninth, and it started to rain, and, and the tarpaulin was rolled on the field. And I don't know, I'm probably not nailing those lyrics straight on, but it's this really melancholy Paul Simon song. Oh, I got to find it. Yeah. I, I'm unfamiliar with that, but I will find yeah. it. The last I would, I would, one. I would sing it for you, but <laughs> people would shut us off. Uh, the last one is a 10 5 player. And this is worth uh, mentioning because fans often hear about this. For instance, Jason Hayward. Uh, coincidentally enough, is a 10-5 player. That is 10 years in the major leagues uh, and five years with your current team. And that's, that's, a, that's a key thing because you then cannot be traded without your consent. Uh, that rule was established in 1973. Uh, you were not a 10-5, right? Because uh, your, your five would have been uh, early in your career. Right. Uh, with Houston, but I didn't get to 10 until – well, I, I never did get a full 10 years of Major League Service time in. So I'm kind of like a, a nine-five guy. 
But the ten five the ten five rule makes sense. I think yeah. uh, certain players have earned that right to determine where they should go. I think early in your career, you understand that it's the nature of the business. You can get moved around, but you know, guys have families when they're 33, 34 years old, they've made a lot of money and they, they should have more control. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, not a five and dimer, a 10 and five. And, but you can, <laughs> you can be released. A quick story. When I was with the Astros, Alan Ashby had, uh, had achieved 10, 10 and five rights. And, um, the, the Astros uh, traded him to the Pirates or tried to trade him to the Pirates for Glenn Wilson. And uh, Ash refused to trade. So they traded Billy Hatcher for Glenn Wilson. And like, I don't know if it was the next day or like two days later, we're sitting on the bus getting ready to head to the airport for a road trip. And the clubhouse guy walks on the bus and says, hey, Ash, they want to see you. <laughs> he got released. He, he, invoked, he invoked his 10 to 5 rights, and John McMullen was the owner of the club. And he, um, At that point, John had become kind of bitter, I think, with the whole Players Association. And he, he just said, okay, <laughs> we'll just release him then. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, you know, and Ash was a good player for a long time. Um, he had a lot of cachet on the club, and, and they, you know, they pull him off the bus. And it was just this kind of sickening because everybody kind of felt some, something was going down. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it was real ugly. And, uh, well, we will uh, try to end on a positive note uh, for the Thanksgiving <laughs> themed <laughs> podcast. And uh, JD, I'm thankful for you. Uh, this was has been a very weird 2020, but uh, not only doing this podcast, but being in the booth and calling some Cubs baseball uh, lent a little uh, normalcy to the whole thing, which uh, I really have needed. I, I can tell you that. Yeah, right back at you, Len. Uh, thanks for, for carrying the load as, as you do. Um, yeah, I was just so happy that we could uh, get on the air and, and give Cub fans a little bit of a diversion um, throughout all this craziness. And we're thankful for big Jim Oboikowicz uh, as well for putting together the podcast every week as he does so well. Shane, Joe, Matt, Daniel, Adam, and our whole crew, thank you. For JD, I'm Len. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, share this podcast with your friends, and we will talk to you soon on Open Concessions presented by Toyota. Toyota.